Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is somewhere watching Anderson Cooper. So I'm joined by journalist, author of the daily newsletter, Wake Up Call, and founder of Katie Couric Media, Katie Couric herself, who is also a badass. Hi, Katie. Hi, Kara. How are you? Good. I'm you're, I'm most excited to have you, I have to say. I, oh, the, that's so I've sweet I've had a lot of, of dudes lately, and it's just, this is really nice, because you and I have a lovely rapport, and you have lots to say about lots of things. So, Well, I don't know if I really do, but I'm happy to be here, Kara. Big big fan, Kara. Yeah, big I'm also fan. testing out, uh, <laughs> I'm testing out uh, co-hosts. So, you know, if I have to kill Scott at some point, which is oh, obviously don't inevitable. Kill Scott. No, I won't, but you, you understand, he's going to cancel himself in one moment in his life so therefore I think I he already to... has a million times but somehow true. he's able to live to to do another podcast it's right true I don't understand it but nonetheless I have to be you know be prepared you know I have yeah to be prepared, that's true no you have what. to have a succession plan for you too Kara yes exactly I have no, I'm not going anywhere <laughs> I, I, I I'm speed dating essentially and, go, and co-hosting essentially excellent excellent all right. must be fun have you yes. been having fun with all these new people yes yeah it's interesting yeah I did have my brother uh this last week which was great we talked a lot about COVID he's a doctor as you know in emergency rooms in San Francisco so yeah uh, in fact I'm in San Francisco this week um and uh, I've noticed Alphabet's autonomous vehicle uh from the company Waymo has launched a robotech service is everywhere. You see Waymo things driving around San Francisco, uh, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of nice to be here back. This is two years I haven't been in San Francisco. I know. I read I read that you were back for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I read like 12,000 newsletters, Kara, and right. somebody mentioned the fact that you were back in San Francisco for the first time. So are you saying that these taxi cabs are running around the city, driverless? Driverless, yes, robo-taxi services. And have you gotten in one? No, I've driven behind them and they seem fine. I consider hitting them sometimes to see what happens, but then I think, no, it's a rental car. I should probably do that. And there's someone in there. Kara. Yes, I know that. I understand that. But just a light tap. Just a light tap to see, you know, the Elon Musk of it all, essentially. I have no desire to be in one of those. But I did see, I don't know if if you went to CES a couple of years ago, they were fascinating kind of choppers, Mm -hmm. air taxis that would would fly around, you know, these urban areas. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they were autonomous. They might have been, but they're going to be. 
But those it are really, called vertical honestly, lift and takeoff vehicles. VLOs, it was like something out of the Jetsons, and yeah, that you're to me that. looked fascinating and terrifying. All no, at the that's going to happen. That's how it's going to go in cities like New York. Is you're at top, you take off a top of one building in this sort of weird helicopter like thing, and then you're going to you know land on another one, and you're going down an elevator, and and then you're there in two minutes versus thirty minutes. Or now, when is this going to happen? Do you think we'll Kara? be dead? Katie. Really? Yes. But not you know, for, that's not See, that's why we need a succession children, Kara. Yeah. Your children's and my many children's will be will be riding them. But would you you don't wouldn't ride a robo taxi. You wouldn't get uh, in without a driver right now. I don't I don't think right now. I think probably in a year or so after mm-hmm. I see more data mm-hmm. and hear about the accident rate, um, mm-hmm. I might be willing to do it. But no, I'm not a big you know funny, Kara, I'm kind of a risk taker in some ways, but when yeah. it comes to my personal safety and the yeah. thought of dying, I'm really not. Right. Well, that's so many people are like that. Not everybody in this country, unfortunately. We'll talk about that Like, in a I wouldn't Any- want to go with Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Really? In their if he asked ships. you in his little ship, you wouldn't no. want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. First you know, of all, I don't Elon know if I'd, want, do that. I don't know if I'd say... want to be in close proximity to either of those guys, but no, I'm not sure I'd want to <laughs> even <laughs> go up in space. I don't you know. know. Let me just be fair. Elon does not do those stunt rides. He hasn't done. He has not done any of those. It's it's uh, it's Richard Branson. That's right, Richard Branson. Bezos, true. Um, because he thinks they're stupid. He just wants to go to Mars and not come back. That's his plan. So really, yeah, yeah that's it. That's his whole. That's his whole plan. Would you go with any of those guys? No, I don't want to go to Mars. I don't want to go. No, you can't come back. You have to stay there for the rest of your life. And you get, I interviewed an astrophysicist uh, who is an astrobiologist, actually. And he said, you just get, unless you're hundreds of feet underground with dirt all over you, um, you you get shorter because your bones start to contract because of the gravity. And then you get dumber because of the radiation. So you essentially turn into a troglodyte under the Well, I I don't need either of those things. (laughs) We don't need to be or dumber. But you <laughs> know what? Say- I think because, Kara, I remember in fourth grade, I had a diary entry mm-hmm. when uh, the Apollo crew blew yeah. up on the on the mm-hmm. uh, launch pad yeah. and the three astronauts were killed. And then, of course, I covered Challenger and Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for, for those reasons, those are so indelibly etched in my consciousness. The idea of kind of Putting myself in that kind of danger just isn't all that appealing to me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just I don't either. I'm not that kind of adventure. Speaking of uh, uh, indelibly stuck in our minds, January 6th insurrection. The House Select Committee is still investigating. Now it's demanding the records of 15 social media companies. The companies including Facebook, Google, Parler, Snapchat, mm-hmm. and Reddit. So two weeks to hand over the records related to the attack. They were quite heavily used, especially Facebook uh, Messenger and other things. So they're looking at information connected to the spread of misinformation, the efforts to overturn the 2020 election to. Prevent Prevent certification results, domestic violent extremism, and foreign influence. What do you make of where this committee is going and the, the role social media comes? Obviously, it starts and stops with Trump, but where do you imagine this going? Well, I think it's incredibly important to get access to those records. I guess the these companies have two weeks to yeah. respond, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like transparency for most of these companies has not been their big calling card. No, but you're being um, very nice. I guess they can be compelled to uh, release this kind of information and be transparent. But I think it's I think it's really important. I think I think it was a shame that there wasn't a bipartisan commission to investigate January sixth, and mm-hmm. that now it has got to be politicized and with uh, you know both sides kind of putting their you know flags down about 
privacy, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's critically important to really understand how this thing came together. And also, I'm really interested in, you know, I know that uh, people have been saying, oh, it's congressional overreach, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. But I'm interested in hearing about the phone calls that went on between Jim Jordan and Donald Trump and Mm -hmm. and Getz and Trump and, you know, and Mark Meadows. And, you know, was there some kind of planning prior to the rally in front of the White House Mm -hmm. to kind of incite? this crowd. And, you know, I, I think that's critically important. What How was much, going on behind the scenes? Yeah. Well, you can see a lot in social media. There's texts and there's a lot of technology that actually does chronicle when when these, when these the timelines of these things. It's very hard to fake a timeline when you've been using digital devices. One of the things that's interesting, you did a really, I would say, devastating interview with Sheryl Sandberg a while back. I don't remember when that was, but do you, were you yeah, surprised? 2019. 2019. So when you look at what happened here, when you think about that interview where you really gave her a hard time and she she's very... She tries to sort of sail Did out I of these really things. Did I really, though? I mean, I think I, I just well, asked her. I think, I honestly, I would not characterize it as giving Cheryl Sandberg a hard time. I think I asked her some very legitimate questions. She mm-hmm. put herself in a position. She's, you know, really famous for kind of trying to personalize and deflect hard questions. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought it was really important at that moment in time when the heat was really starting to right. to be on Facebook and the way it was conducting itself with hate speech and political ads and that speech that Mark Zuckerberg had given to in front mm-hmm. of Georgetown. Um, you know, I was I think there. She had, I was at that speech. Um, okay. Well, she yeah. had some hard, you know, hard questions that she needed to ask. So, um, you know, I think it was interesting because I'm reading An Ugly Truth right now. And... It, she expected it to be a friendly, a friendly environment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't really have all those things going on around you and not be not anticipate really tough questions. Yeah, I thought that was a great interview with Cheryl, because I think you showed that that her attempt to deflect. I think deflect was the exact word is that she's quite good at it and you didn't mm-hmm. allow her to do so. Um, and it actually, if you look at it again, I urge people to look at it again. It really does. You sort of start to see their strategies today as they try to deflect what happened on on January 6th and their role in it. Now, I wouldn't say they're right. the primary role, but they're certainly critically important. Um, speaking of controversies, Katie, since we yes. have you here, you were asked, we have to ask you about the Jeopardy situation since you guest hosted earlier this year. And now, here is the guest host of Jeopardy, Katie Curry. Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Welcome to Jeopardy, everyone. It is such a thrill to be here guest hosting a show. Maya Bialik is filling in as regular host when they restart the search process. Uh, do you have a chance again? Or what do you think? What did you oh, think about that? Was that know, just a lark I, for you? <laughs> I was happy to do it for two weeks. You know, I mm-hmm. really have tremendous respect for Alex Trebek. I mean, who doesn't? Find mm-hmm. me one person who really doesn't. But did you want to be host? Did you want to no, actually? No, I did not. I did okay. not. I mean, Why listen, not? I was I was flattered that I was a guest host and I was the first woman right on right. to fill in. But at the same time, no, that's not a job that would necessarily appeal to me, even though I think it's would be really fun for a lot of people. And what? I can't believe Sony didn't do a better job. Oh my God, they were podcasts Mike right And that there. you had to have a yeah. reporter from The Ringer go through all those podcasts. But yeah. Look at all the people who have said dumb things in the in the past. Those were pretty you know? dumb. Those are the those oh, are really, real not, not oh yeah not <laughs> those dumb. are real I mean, dumb. They were they were really dumb. They were beyond dumb. They were yeah. offensive. Yeah, I'm not but, sure there's going to find a Katie Couric thing saying talking about boobs and 
No, I, 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 I doubt it. But um, I'm just saying that, you know, you've seen Alexi, uh, the woman who mm-hmm. was going to be the editor of Teen Vogue, yeah. who mm-hmm. said some inappropriate things. And I yeah. think it's just a really important reminder for all you young people listening young, that, young you're, <laughs> that your, late, digital, your digital footprint lasts forever. <laughs> too and, late. Um, too you know, late. be mindful if you're trying to be provocative or funny or even, yeah. you know, off color. You've got to remember that. So who's going to get it? Probably will come out. And well, nobody's you. safe. In I that have no regard. idea. What do you think? I, I think my bio needs to get it. That's what I think. And yeah. Ken Jennings. But, I mean, obviously, he's a fa- fan favorite, but. It seems like she's well, no, the one. Well, no, LeVar Burton is the fan yes. favorite. Oh, the fan favorite. You're right. He is. That's right. That's right. But I think she should get it. That's that's who I'm going for. Yeah, but now I guess she's she's being put under the microscope for some of the things that she has said oh, about no. vaccines and something about scheduling or her kids' vaccines. And she also wrote a piece, I guess, in the Times during mm-hmm. Me Too. She did. Uh, seeming to kind yeah. of blame the victim a little bit and talking yeah. about the way she comports herself. Um yeah. Which got a lot of uh, backlash as well. But anyway. We have to get to the big story. Today is the ostensible deadline for the United States to pull out of Afghanistan. Obviously, yes, that's, what that's a shifted. shit show, huh? I know. How the U.S. and 97 other countries, including the U.K., France, Germany, released a statement agreeing to continue to help those fleeing Afghanistan. The statement said, we've received assurances from the Taliban that all foreign nationals and any Afghan citizen with travel authorization from our countries will be allowed to proceed in a safe and orderly manner to points of departure and travel outside the country. There's all the risks involved, including bombings. The country has <sighs> also stated it will continue to issue travel documentation for designated Afghans. So, Tell, you just said shit show. Let's let, let's break down shit show from your point of view. You know, you've covered a lot of these things. As yeah, I covered it from the beginning and you I did. went to Afghanistan a yep. couple of times and it's mm-hmm. just heartbreaking because it seems like, uh, you know, it's deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say. I mean, mm-hmm. here it was uh, the, what do they call it? The graveyard of empires. Mm-hmm. And the Taliban was in control from 1996 to 2001. They're back in control. And of course, the big question, Kara, as you well mm-hmm. know, is can the Taliban. And what is the Taliban, by the way? Is it right. a monolithic organization? It's, you know, is it a ragtag army full of like disgruntled 19-year-olds? I mean, mm-hmm. can the Taliban be trusted, I think mm-hmm. is the big question, right? Well, what do you make you, of their insistence? the new and improved yes, Taliban Yeah, I know. It's like Taliban 2.0 and, and the nicer, I, kinder, I like gentler being, Taliban. I don't I feel it. like we're being pretty naive to put yeah. so much power in the Taliban. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was reading a New York Times article that said, you know, Afghan citizens are have, have to obtain passports from the Afghan Interior Ministry, then mm-hmm. secure visas and approval and approve travel documents from foreign governments before they can leave, which could take months, even years, the reporter pointed out. Mm-hmm. And, and it might provide information that will allow the uh, Taliban to exact retribution on people who want well, to leave yes. the country. So I don't know, Kara, it sounds pretty iffy. And then you've got ISIS K, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing yep. these terrorist attacks. And then they're trying to take credit for making the U.S. leave Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. is there going to be some kind of tit for tat and internal uh, sort of competition between the Taliban and ISIS K mm-hmm. uh, with the more radical elements uh, elements of the Taliban? I don't know. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. Well, how would you to cover me, it as a report? You know, you've been there, you've covered it, and obviously you've covered it from lots of angles, including being an anchor. What? How do you cover something like this? Some people, someone was just complaining about the media. I was somewhere 
I forget where I was. They were saying it was overwrought in terms of how they're covering it. How do you assess it? Like when you're looking at, you know, well, people I mean, in the wheels I, I, of airplanes, I've chaos seen those critici- I've seen those criticisms too, but I think it's pretty hard if you're on the ground. Mm-hmm. People are dying in stampedes. People are climbing on C-17s to escape mm-hmm. the country. They're throwing their babies into the arms of U.S. military personnel. I think it's pretty hard not to get overwrought. I challenge those people who are critical of the media to go on the ground in off Afghanistan mm-hmm. and do a completely unemotive report. So, mm-hmm. you know, listen, there's so many different ways and there's so much smart writing that's being done on it. You know, there's how how do you cover it from a policy perspective? How do you mm-hmm. cover it from like what lessons have we learned? It seems the US does this over and over and yeah. over again. Can we in fact, quote unquote, nation build? Can we can we change a country mm-hmm. into a vision of what we think it should be? Right. Um, on no. the other hand, the how did 9 11 no. change everything? I remember interviewing George Bush, George mm-hmm. W. Bush, who campaigned against nation building, the idea of committing troops and, yep. you know, blood and treasure to military conflicts or to conflicts overseas. And he said, September 11th changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. What I really appreciate and try to do when I cover these things is look at the long arc of history mm-hmm. and how, you know, over a 20 year period, what has been achieved? Why did we pull back funds from the State Department to develop infrastructure? Why did we spend so much money on the military? Um, you know, Jeffrey Sachs had a good article mm-hmm. about that. Two trillion dollars, so little of it went to rebuilding infrastructure mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and systems within Afghanistan that could have, I think, won hearts and minds right. over, you know, the military. Um, uh, well, you know, you it, know not just angle. 9-11 has changed it, but the reductiveness of, you know, people, it, it happens that in vaccines, everyone's either Dr. Google or experts on Afghanistan, and it sort of muddies understanding of it in a, in a everyone feels it feels very reactive everything every move feels very reactive and even more so because of the you know the non-dulcet influence of social media and, then, and, and yeah policy makers are affected by that it seems like and then the group think that i think results yeah. from social media right mm-hmm. the piling on um you know the provocative tweet or then I think that that gets more attention. It gets more conversation going. So I think you're right. Everything is geared toward sort of pithy, reactive, and not necessarily deep thinking perspective on some of these big, huge events. But, you know, I just try to read as much as I can and look at many different perspectives. I interviewed uh, my friend Kevin Barron because he Mm -hmm. was in Afghanistan with me. He's a Mm -hmm. reporter for Defense One. Um, Just because it, it was interesting, we followed Bob Gates around Afghanistan and went on this international trip together. So, it was really interesting to talk to him. And then I, I reached out to General Petraeus because mm-hmm. I covered both Iraq and Afghanistan with him. And, you know, and, and people forget, like, Afghanistan was called the Forgotten War for so long because so much of our attention was diverted to Iraq. Mm-hmm. You know, for what? Yeah. Right? And then yeah. we know how that turned out. So, um, Last question. When you know. see When you see uh, Trump and Biden sort of duking it out, even though both are on the same side, kind of, you know, in terms of intent. Um, again, it's being used. Well, it's as, the blame game, Kara. Yeah. I mean, look yeah. at Trump is the one that negotiated with the Taliban. He set the May 1st guideline. He kept the Afghan government out of the negotiations, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, and, and, and then Biden, 
You know, what's interesting to me, I think obviously he was jonesing to get out of there and has Mm -hmm. been for for a decade. Mm -hmm. But but why he didn't consider and and, and was it PR reasons to have it Mm -hmm. before September 11th? I don't know why he didn't really consider or wasn't better served by the State Department and his military folks surrounding him. Um, you know, he could have changed that date. He mm-hmm. could have made sure that things were put in place. And I don't know exactly what happened, but I think we're learning more and more about conversations that have been gone on, going on in the Pentagon and the White House. And mm-hmm. I think it's a big disappointment. And I think it's going to have a really uh, huge impact on the midterms and perhaps the rest of the Biden presidency. Who knows? I guess a lot of it depends on what happens in the next, you know, in the See, next weeks See, I think people are forget, forget this stuff. They wanted out, everyone wanted out of Afghanistan, the regular people, and don't care. They don't care about the Afghanis. Honestly, I, even, you, even though people sort of give lip service to it, I think in general, in this, you know, sort of twitchy environment we're in, news yeah, environment. Yeah, maybe you're right. But what's um, next? I'm not sure. What's going I'm on with sure. TikTok or whatever. All right, let's go on a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss California's recall election, speaking of which, and we'll talk to a friend of Pivot, Nathan Olivac. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Katie, we're back with our second big story. California's Republican-led recall election to remove Gavin Newsom as the state's governor is underway as ballots have made their way to register voters. What's at stake in the September 14th recall? It's a matter of life and death. Why are Californians uniting to vote yes to recall Gavin Newsom? We've lost jobs and businesses are leaving. 
It's really fascinating. He may lose. He may get it back again, but he may lose. Uh, California has gone through the recall process 179 times since the amendment was voted into uh, play in 1911. Just one of those attempts has removed a governor from office, and that was 2003 when Arnold Schwarzenegger came into office. Although California is a deeply Democratic state, Newsom might lose to a seat to a right-wing talk show host, Larry Elder, because it's determined by a major- it's crazy a majority vote. So if he doesn't get 50 percent yet, if if more than 50 percent say yes on the recall, Newsom has to step down and he'll be replaced by whichever opponent gets the most votes on the ballot, even if it's 15 percent. And there's a lot of people in the system, so. Tell me what I, I, people think that he's going to lose, actually. People, maybe people come think back. he's going to get recalled? Yes. That's uh, here really? in California. Interesting. Well, if I'm that's the scuttlebutt in California, I mean, I did read some articles right. in preparation mm-hmm. for our podcast, Kara. Right. And it sounds to me that he is not going to get recalled. I guess the big concern is voter turnout mm-hmm. uh, yes, or people mailing why. in their recall ballots that are mailed home. Even my daughter, Ellie, said a lot of people really aren't paying attention they to aren't. it. They aren't. And so this that's hardcore I mean. anti-Newsom Republican faction mm-hmm. is super motivated. And it's not unlike the primary process. By the way, right? funded for by Jen some internet Burt. people. Inter- right? There's a bunch of internet people funding. And on the other side, Reed Hastings is supporting Newsom. And his yeah, name meanwhile, is quite it's costing prominent. $200 million, yeah. which yeah. seems like a ridiculous waste of money to me. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. guess Gavin Newsom, uh, I think people are really frustrated by the way COVID was handled and all mm-hmm. the businesses were closed. And of course, going Although to the French laundry. California's got a surplus and the Economy's doing well, and you know it's it's funny, you know, and it has the lowest rates among many uh-huh. states. So, so what do you think is behind it? I, I think these internet guys have really uh, they've decided they want to replace him. Then there's some other internet guys that don't want to. I think there's a very strong anti-vax group of people here. I was driving across the Golden Gate Bridge yesterday to go visit my brother in Marin, and. It, it was lined with anti-vax people with all kinds of signs, um, which was interesting. I think yeah, there's they've a very, had a number of protests out there, and yeah. some have turned violent, I read. Yeah, yeah, they weren't getting a lot of beeps. They were getting a lot of fingers from people, actually, which mm-hmm. was interesting. But mm-hmm. the question is, were the people with their fingers up going to vote? That's really what it is. They could win by inertia, and that's and, and then you'll have Larry Elder for a year. I don't think he'll stay in office, not like Schwarzenegger. Well, Larry but. Elder sounds pretty, pretty. Deep, deep, crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, the I thing is, I, I think that when when Gray Davis was was recalled, mm-hmm. they had Arnold Schwarzenegger on the ballot. And mm-hmm. a lot of things that I've read say, say because there's nobody with the name recognition, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the what? How many people are on the ballot running against him? Like 100? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Against yeah, there's a lot. Uh, Newsom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that, that I guess in Gavin Newsom is urging people to vote no and not even – you know, write anything on the second right. question. Right. But, you know, it sounds like Gavin Newsom has made some pretty serious sort of faux pas going to the French laundry and he being did. hypocritical. And this is a restaurant he it, went to where he ate semi-indoors and it looked it looked ridiculous and elite. You know, there's a lot of pictures of Nancy Pelosi in an outdoor event too. There's, there's all these photos. Um, at the very same time, people who are unvaccinated are literally just die, falling over dead. Right. But I think this anti-elitism is mm-hmm. really hurting Gavin Newsom. You know, mm-hmm. his kids going to private school and saying he relates to families who have their kids on Zoom. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's sort of the way of the world. It's it's class class warfare. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he is the recipient of a lot of class resentment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, conservatives in the state of California, and as you said, this sort of cabal of internet people, which I didn't really know about. Mm-hmm. Who are they? 
Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole there's there's Paxim who've been funding these ads and and sort of pushing it. Um, someone like Jamath Palihapiti, usually a very reasonable person, sort of on the uh, Jason Calacanis. There's there's a bunch there's bunches of them um, putting. What money I read into is this. they're not very well financed. The anti Newsom contingent. Uh, they aren't. Reed Hastings has really stepped in on the other side um, mm-hmm. of the Netflix uh, founder and has actually put his name out there. He he has done a lot of various things, including anti Newsom things in the past, I think. And he is he has put his actual name, you know, it says Reed Hastings and the Democratic this and that, um, which I think is interesting. Um, and isn't Larry made, Elder in trouble for not disclosing something, a business, some kind of business yes, deal? Yes, That's yes. What oh, I read. no, he's like, he's really quite unqualified. It's just that someone with 15% of the um, of the electorate can can win over someone who has, who has, was duly elected governor. That's, California is such a screwed up electoral system. It feels always like there's some wacky thing on the ballot or that people are voting for. And, uh, and then this, this is the case that they can do these kind of things. When well, it's interesting. Like you said, it was started in 1911 by progressives who didn't mm-hmm. want, you know, concentration of power. And, uh, you know, it's now it's cutting both ways, right? Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. It just seems like, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be. And and Gavin Newsom's running for re-election in the fall. So what's the point? Two hundred million dollars for what? Think of what that money could have gone to in California. It's the chaos of all our politics, right? You know, like it's all over this country. And you were talking about the midterms, which people, you know, usually the party out of out of office wins, but nobody knows right now. I was talking to someone who's like, "Oh, the Democrats are going to win the Senate," and I was like, "What? Like, huh?" Like it's a, it's a really it's a very different time from when you were. It seemed you know it almost seems quaint. You did such the de- it was a devastating interview with Sarah Palin, which you're so famous for. But you know it, it seems quaint that you sort of put that you know you put, you showed that exactly what was happening there. Now it seems completely normal. She's she seems almost normal compared to a lot of the people, right? Um, like Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Green. Green. What would you do in that interview, Katie? Oh Couldn't my God, <laughs> I don't know if I'd even want to give that woman airtime, Kara. Yeah. Well. Um, because she's, like, she's down Sarah Palin Avenue, you know what I mean? Like, uh, she's, she's way like, down, like Sarah Palin, you know, times 27. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think Sarah Palin, you know, was incompetent, and I think, honestly, in fairness to her, her speech pattern and the way she expressed herself, mm-hmm. some of the things she had to say were not that out of the mainstream. I right. think it's just that, that the way she expressed them, um, mm-hmm. uh, was so sort of confusing and kind mm-hmm. of a, you know, jabberwocky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but I, I don't know. I, the, some of these people are, are truly, truly terrifying saying mm-hmm. if someone comes to your door, encouraging you to get a vaccine that, you know, we're going to show our second amendment rights. And I mean, yeah. it's really scary shit and it's em- emboldening emboldening and enabling and encouraging a lot of really scary, violent behavior, as we saw in the Pittsburgh synagogue. I mean, these this words have consequences, right, you know, right. and and these words are going to continue to have consequences. And I think it's really, really. Yeah. Terrifying. The fact that Larry Elder might be governor of 15, but they just like and he's wacky, you know, John, like, my uh, husband always says people get the. The president they deserve, yeah. But I, no. I, 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 I hope that's this. not true. No, you know, know, he's saying that you know, if if people are ill informed and not using their head when making their decisions, but 
You know, I, I try to have more faith in, in the majority than that. I don't know how you would. I don't know how you would do do that same job today. Honestly, I have to say, like, it would be very difficult. You know, I brought on Jason Miller on Sway on my podcast and people lost their minds. He's, you know, I just was like, and it was a tough interview, but uh, it was, it, it's just really interesting of what people are hearing. People, people didn't want you to talk to him at all. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. And he has the platform Trump's probably going to emerge on. So I thought that was worth talking. And and he's got tremendous influence in yes. in how decisions are made. I mean, I think that's a bad reaction. I think oh, you want to. I agree. Wanna, but you like, want to understand what people are thinking and today, what motivates him. If you were doing Sarah Palin, you'd get incredible pushback for having done an interview with her. It's really, I mean, you got celebrated for it, and it was a great interview. But well, she what, was a vice presidential candidate. I know, I mean, but how even could then, people. Because people actually wrote me, let's give Trump no attention often. Let's not give him attention. That's your, the problem is you're giving him attention. I'm like, he's running the Republican Party. Like, I'm sorry. Is that attention? Okay. It's fine by me. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Social media has given everybody a megaphone. So well, every, every person you hear from, uh, yeah. you, you got to kind of, you got to kind of shut them out and yeah. go with your own. I can't. Got I to can't. not be influenced by them. But it's hard sometimes. You know, sometimes I write back people on Instagram like, why aren't you supporting our troops? And I was like, what? I just did a whole uh, tribute to all the fallen service members in Afghanistan. What's that have to do with, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, I don't don't respond to them, Katie. Call me when you want to do I, that. Was, I, once thing. in a while I do, because they just bug me. Yeah, well, speaking of social media, we're going to bring in our friend of Pivot. Nathan Alabak, creative director of Alabak Communications. Nathan is a writer covering internet culture, advertising, and conspiracy theories, as well as the Twitter personality known for causing the Stakem account to go viral. Um, I Katie. love this guy, Kara. Okay, I love I this figured. guy. I Hi, saved Nathan. Him. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hi, Kara. Thanks so much for having me. Good. So let's listen to some vintage advertising from the Stakem brand. Got a minute? Then you've got time for a hot steak sandwich. Keep steak'em frozen till you're ready to eat. Then stick them in the frying pan. 60 seconds later, take them off the heat and fix them up any way you can. Try steak them on a roll with cheese. Top it any way you please. Steak'em sandwich steaks. They're 100% pure beef and nothing else. Fast forward to Steak'em branding on Nathan's Wash. I'm going to read one of his tweets. Quote, we are just a frozen meat brand tweeting into the void, hoping to provoke thought, inspire unity, and relay useful information. Really not the same kind of tone. So, Katie, take it away. Well, Nathan, first of all, uh, congratulations on your success. You have how many Twitter followers at this point? It's, it's somewhere over 200,000, I think, yeah. Well, I've been fascinated reading about you this morning. I did my homework for this podcast because Kara terrifies me. But, you know, <laughs> I think it. Uh, what you're doing is so fascinating. And tell us how you kind of found your voice on Twitter, because it's it's very distinctive. I know you go for authenticity, and I would say it's observational humor and insight. But But why don't you tell everybody how you why you started doing this and how you found that voice. Yeah, sure. So I started uh, through our agency running the Twitter account in mid-2017, and there was little to no oversight in the beginning because the account had about a 1,000 inactive followers. Um, the, the client didn't take it that seriously in comparison to like Facebook and Instagram and the, and the rest. So there was a lot of room to kind of uh, experiment with the voice and figure out what was working, what wasn't working. 
And uh, it was just a, a few months of, of me and, and our team just kind of working through, you know, what are some bits that people are connecting with? You know, what are other brands doing? Because I honestly wasn't super familiar with like Wendy's doing like their sassy clapbacks. Like I wasn't super familiar with like what other brands mm -hmm. were even doing on Twitter. So um, it was it was a lot of just figuring out, you know, what the landscape looked like and, and what people um, were open to hearing. And like you you kind of alluded to there, I think because I had such a little oversight from the beginning, I was able to kind of be more myself, like be a little bit more human in interacting with people. So people felt it was a lot more personal um, off the bat, which again, at the time, I was just kind of messing around, figuring this out. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, strategy behind research. it. So you didn't have like all that research that they always no, like, have yeah. to say this. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's why I think it works so well, Nathan. It, yeah. it was very sort of spontaneous. It was very you. They're incredibly... Um, uh, sort of world weary, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. talk about what you, they're sort of world weary and like, oh, it's just a frozen steak. Well, it's, like, it's funny because I feel like if you weren't, if, if it wasn't a brand saying the things that we were saying, I think the tone would almost sound condescending to a lot of people. And I think it does still mm -hmm. sound condescending to people as the brand. It's kind of like, why is this meat brand lecturing us about, but you know, uh, you know, critical thinking or media literacy or whatever. So I think, um, but we try to use neutral language and we try to moderate the mm -hmm. language. We try to make it sound, you know, as safe as we can, but also in a way that's touching on things, you know, that people are thinking about and, and things that people care about. Because as everybody here knows and people listening, Twitter is a super toxic platform. Uh, it's, it's a 24-hour news kind of machine and people are always looking for the latest hot takes and the latest thing to get mad about. So I think um, mm -hmm. the fact that we took that kind of moderate approach to trying just to figure out like let's pump the brakes let's depolarize you know here's how we can think about this kind of surface level concept in a way that inspires thinking versus like us but you're not particularly you friendly but you're not particularly like you talk about i agree with you you're you're funny in a way that is not like necessarily eat some steaks eat some steakums right yeah like that's what's the well, goal and wh why do you think it works <laughs> I go think, ahead katie oh go ahead katie I, I wanted to ask you about the to follow up on Kara. Like, does this really sell steakums? To me, it's 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 it, you're you're delivering truth bombs. You're helping people connect the dots. And what does it really have to do with selling your product? And what has it done for sales? Yeah, so we do have data um, from the past couple of years over various like spikes. I would say because we. Basically, in this, especially in the beginning, around 2018, we started to pick up on this. We weren't running other advertising anywhere. So we kind of correlate, mm -hmm. you know, a lot easier. Okay, we see this clear spike in sales here. And this is right when we had this massive viral moment that hit national headlines, et cetera. So we can correlate to a certain degree. It's a little harder now because obviously the pandemic, um, especially frozen foods are like flying off the shelves. So it's, it's, it's not as one to one. I would say, mm -hmm. um, but I think overall, I mean, like the, the PR net benefit of like of earned media that the brand's gotten has been pretty sure. unprecedented. So there's that element of it. And then there's also, also young people, right? Like, young people think it's cool. Exactly. So that's what I was going to say. I mean, the product's been around since the 70s. So I think it has this kind of legacy impact where, you know, a lot of people, maybe Gen X and up have a memory when they were growing up eating mm -hmm. it, but a lot of millennials. College. Yeah, yeah, in college, but a lot of millennials and uh, Zoomers aren't familiar at all with it. So, you know, there, this is kind of their introduction to it in a lot of ways, which I think um, the style of Twitter has helped reach them. 
And in fact, you yeah. did this because you wanted to connect with a, with younger consumers, right? I mean, you wanted the brand to be more relevant. So it sounds to me like like even sort of brand recognition, having these these bon mots, so to speak, come from the Stakeums account. I mean, it's so random and and sort of very much kind of fits in with with sort of the Twitter ethos, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. Super, I, oh, I, we have a lot of people talking about the segment. Did you go to other social? Did you think about Facebook or TikTok or you know or Snapchat? What? what, what why Twitter? Well, we we've tried TikTok and like we've had mm-hmm. varying success there, and we've been using other platforms on and off over the years. But the, especially with organic reach, I mean, organic reach is almost dead for Facebook, and it's it's more and more difficult for Instagram. With Twitter, it's it's mm-hmm. such an easy platform to just get heard. You know, like you you could have no following, you could have uh, no paid budget, and you can put a tweet out there into the ether and suddenly it blows up if it's like the right reply to the right person at the right time. So I think mm-hmm. it was just an opportunity to explore and to kind of figure out what worked for the brand. And then we've able been able to like extrapolate a lot of the voice and a lot of the things that have worked on Twitter to other platforms then. You know what's really interesting, Kara? I, I think that mm-hmm. from everything I've read, this works because of Nathan, and not to blow smoke, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan. But it's uh, you know but people that's say you're me. incredibly well read, you're clever, you're really smart, and I can attest from reading some of your medium posts about conspiracy theories, which honestly sounded like a a doctorate. Oh jeez! <laughs> uh, you know, first of all, they're very long, Nathan. Can you yeah. kind of maybe get a better Working editor on it. there? <laughs> but so, but no, so, like Kara, so, they are so yes. well read. Research. I don't know I've if read you them. read some you know, of Nathan's what's interesting, stuff. Well, I have, because one of the things that's interesting is the Twitter feed reads like someone who is like unloading their college education on us. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, oh, oh yeah, that, I remember that. And I think it works really well because it's super smart and it doesn't hide from smart, right? That's one of the things. And it's and then the juxtaposition of it being a steak brand, like a, a frozen meat brand is sort of funny. But when you're doing the conspiracy theory stuff, what made you do that? Because then I understood why the Stakeham tweets are the way they are once I read those. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think um, the conspiracy theory and the misinformation bits just kind of naturally arose last year in, in the height of COVID and in, in the beginning, just because there was so much of it. It felt very unprecedented online where obviously we've all seen misinfo over the years, but it felt like a like a boiling point almost. And it felt like a lot of people were talking about how, you know, oh, those stupid people over there and, you know, how absurd this one conspiracy theory is and a lot of hot take commentary like that, but there wasn't a lot of good, um, what I would consider like long form analysis kind of breaking down why some of these things were happening. So um, like you alluded to, there was some of the, the work that I've done just in my free time. That's where I kind of started to pull from being like, you know, I've done a little bit of research on like the sort of psychology of conspiracy theories and the history of why some of this stuff has come to be. And I thought it'd be interesting just to kind of take the bits of that that are the most depolarized, the most kind of uh, easy to grasp and just break them down into these like, you know, short spurts uh, through through the Stakeham account and see what connected. And um, I guess just again, with with the timing of it, with the, the pandemic, then I think it really, it hit a lot of people. So it worked at the time. I was, I was going to ask you, Nathan, why do you think it resonated so much, particularly during the pandemic? And I, you know, and I, I love the way that you kind of read and listen to podcasts and kind of write notes. And, but, but you talked about especially young people feeling just so disconnected and so miserable that 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 sort of the the tenor of what you were doing seemed to really resonate. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think 
a big part of why the Stakeham content is connected with younger people specifically is the fact that we don't shy away from the fact that we are a brand and what we're doing is advertising. There's sort of like a meta mm -hmm. self-awareness to it that puts it puts some people at ease. It puts other people, you know, more on edge. You know, the people that are already kind of cynical and, and critical to advertising and, and manufacturing consent and just the whole the whole ecosystem of, of how media and marketing kind of interact. I think those people look at like it's malicious and it's kind of dystopian that what we're doing. Um, but mm -hmm. I think generally a lot of young people who just maybe spend time scrolling through Twitter or TikTok every day and they're getting kind of mundane and run down from the, the sort of attention economy of all of it. I think seeing a brand kind of break these ideas down that they've been thinking or hearing about in, in other spaces in a really self-aware way is kind of like a, oh, whoa, I'm not used to seeing that on my timeline. It kind of takes them out of the the sort of the, I'm using a lot of buzzwords, but the kind of like doom scrolling right. no, nature, you know, you get right. caught in that cycle and then you see something right. that snaps you out of it and you're like, oh, wait. And then you take a second, you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, I just was advertised to. And that kind of creates right. a weird distance right. there And I well. think I'll have a lovely steak. But when you think about the conspiracy theories, Katie and I were just talking about them. But, you know, she's done a lot of interviews that today would have gotten twisted over. You know, if you think about any of the, the big interviews, and you, I, I would I would love to have seen the reaction of, say, the Palin interview today in the Twitter space, which she would have done and different things like that. But th this this sort of age of conspiracy theories and mistrust, which is not new and fresh, there's it's been around, it's just been more accelerated. So how do you look at the platforms? Because you often talk about them in in with the Stakeham's brand. What can the platforms do to catch it earlier uh, rather than damage? Damage control is what they all they do right. is damage control. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that is the, that's the big thing. I, I talk to, to friends about this all the time. Everything that they're doing is reactive instead of proactive. And it feels like the sort of distrust is so heavily built in to the platforms at this point from both like, like far left, I'd say politically and far right. And kind of people in between have gotten cynical to the whole the, to all of them as well. Um, I think creating more transparent messaging it's like it's a cliche at this point because everybody says something like that but i think something along the lines of you know being open about their processes and how mm -hmm. they're analyzing um what constitutes misinformation and, and what are the gradients of that because obviously it's like mm -hmm. it's a spectrum right it's not this like oh this thing is fake news and this thing is not um sometimes it's that simple but oftentimes it's more complex i think that's where the distrust builds the distrust doesn't really build over oh, so-and-so got this fact wrong and now they've been suspended or whatever. It builds from the more gray areas that aren't then coherently explained by the platforms. And then they just make these decisions kind of on a whim. Which Zuckerberg so. alluded to just recently. He's like, so it's confusing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super helpful. Thanks. And yet, well, well, you know, Kara, you know, I'm on this, and Nathan, I, I'm mm -hmm. taking part in this Aspen Institute commission on disinformation. And um, I think you're so right. I think transparency is, is, is job number one, because if we don't know how the systems work, we don't know how things are being channeled to people, how they're rating content, how they're correcting content. Um, it's really hard. And, and if researchers can't really have access to it, it's really hard right. to come up with, with things that are more proactive and less reactive. And I noticed at the end of one of your posts, you put a lot of things about media literacy, you know, which puts so much onus, which is, I think, critically important, but it puts so much onus on the consumer. And I think, mm -hmm. obviously, we're going to have to go from from both channels. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting when we come up with some of our recommendations if if they're going to fall on deaf ears or, I mean, what do you guys think, Kara, particularly Facebook? Well, I think do you there's, think there's Facebook actually... is going to change? And No. No. 
No, that's been reacted from day one on every topic, whether it's privacy. But whether what? It's so you think it's going to re- take government intervention? Never done better financially. I don't. There's no incentive yep. for them to do it, and they don't think they're wrong. You know, I mean, one of the things there's re- there, what's interesting is you're releasing this disinformation. What Nathan's writing about is that there's a lot of people saying, so what if there's disinformation? There's there's disinformation police. If you, you've seen a number of pretty prominent internet pundits talk about that. Don't be, you know, mommy state. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I think they don't understand the insidious nature of propaganda and how it works, you know, in any era. Um, You know, it sounds crazy, but, you know, Hitler didn't need Twitter, right, Right. to do what he did. Neither Mussolini didn't need Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Or Stalin didn't need, you know, whatever, uh, TikTok. Although that idea is kind of crazy to think about. Um, But (laughs) One of the things, Nathan, I'd love you to, when you think about that, because you are in the brand space, you are in the advertising space, um, but it does veer right over into propaganda really quickly. Oh, yeah. This this particular medium is is quite good for it. How do you do better? Is the media sort of chasing it? Is it that people aren't media literate? Is that people will fall for anything? What do you, where do you see an out on this? Because you talk a lot of, the steak, I'm ta- I've learned a lot of things from the, the steak brand for some reason I, that I, I'd forgotten. I think you both just touched on. I mean, I think there has to be more of an institutional push to get some of this stuff in legislation because individually, it seems like what the state, what Stakem is doing in a sort of weird advertising way and what a lot of other, um, you know, smaller public institutions and even some private institutions are doing is trying to to empower the individual. It's like, hey, you know, the mm-hmm. internet's a crazy place. You put on your critical thinking cap, learn how to be media literate. And that's great. Like, like you said, Katie, we should continue to, to do that. But I think on a mass media level, it is just so discouraging to see this stuff happen because you know, you know, it's it's like with the vaccine hesitancy. It's like, okay, we all know you have the power individually to maybe convince your mom or your sister or someone that's super close mm-hmm. to you. But you as an individual don't have much power at all over your community at large, over your state, over your, you know, it's just, it, it dissipates the, the broader these problems get. So I think there has to be some public pressure mounted to, to push for, for legislation, whether like you alluded to before, whether it's reform on the platforms themselves or it's some kind of new, um, like some new policy that, that does push like a, like maybe reinvigorates media literacy within the public institutions. But I think even that, that's a long-term fix. I mean, to, to kind of get it through the education system versus something at a top level that's kind of yeah. like, let's curb yeah. this, you know, before it Well, gets I'll let worse. Katie ask the last question, but I'll note that it's actually companies that are doing this, like whether it's Stakeums, whether it's Patagonia, which is essentially fuck you, Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you saw their recent, they're doing a lot of edgy stuff. Or, you know, Disney pushing back on Ron DeSantis. That's a big deal when they did that. Yeah. So it is interesting that companies are, some companies are leading the way into this. You know, people aren't paying as much attention to the Disney DeSantis thing, but Boy, is that's not good for him. Well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just add they to that. are the governor of Florida. Yeah, just real quick. I mean, I, I definitely think we're at a time, especially in the post kind of the pandemic world that we're in, um, especially since the, uh, the the BLM movement last year mm-hmm. kind of took off. We're in this position where I think a lot of brands are forced or being pressured to position themselves in, in causal ways. You know, it's like what's something that we mm-hmm. can stand behind, whether it's a social justice cause, whether it's an issue of the day, something that's going to differentiate them in this kind of space where everybody's trying to be everything all the time and mm-hmm. and nobody's really um, taking heart. You know, you saw a lot of brands during BLM say like, you know, we stand Black Lives Matter or whatever. And then they, they did a one post and then I've never talked about it again. 
versus mm-hmm. the sort of Ben and Jerry's model, which is like, let's make this part of, you know, our our, our actual brand identity. So I think you're, you're seeing yeah, more and Patagonia's more of that. One of them. And like in fact, yeah. that and not to do a shameless plug for Katie Kirk Media, but that's really the whole foundation for our company. You know, we're taking, quote unquote, purpose-driven brands, companies that need to take positions and 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 really explore important issues, whether it's climate change or gender equality or social justice or, you know, racial justice, and trying to do storytelling uh, with a very, very light touch because it's, it's quote unquote, brand supported, not branded content. Because you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, you look at the Business Roundtable, these companies, in order to retain employees, especially younger employees, Nathan, as you know, they want to work for a company that cares more ab- about things other than just the bottom line. They want to feel proud yeah. ab- about the company they're working at. And, and as trust in institutions like the government and financial Institute has declined. You know, people are looking to corporate leaders. You know, that's why, you know, Ken Chenault and, and Ken Frazier, you know, are speaking out on voting rights in Georgia. And and that's mm-hmm. where I think the vacuum is being filled in many ways. And so we saw well this said. as a big Nathan, opening, Kara. Democracy is up to stake. Do you understand this? <laughs> understand the- we, we understand the task. Anyway, Nathan, thank you so much. Nathan uh, uh, is, uh, you can re- watch him on stage. I mean, where do you reach your medium posts? How do I'm just at Nathan Alabach everywhere. So you search my okay. name, I'll pop at up. At Nathan Alabach. And are and you, are sure you sporting he's, he's a not mun? Just a state because guy. I, are you sporting a mun? Because I was looking forward to seeing your long hair. Oh yeah, I've got I've got the I've got the mun. Yeah, sorry. I, I, <laughs> What's a mun? Next time what I'll, is I'll, a mun? I, I was, it's yeah, a man, man bun. Took oh, me a second oh, okay. there too, but next time I'll, I'll wear it down for you, Katie. Thank you, okay, Nathan. All right. Okay, Nathan, thank you <laughs> so much. Okay, bye, Nathan. All right, Katie, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So wins and fails, Katie. Come on, wins and fails. I have just one win today if you'd like me to start. Yeah, you start. Do you know Jojo Suwa? Yes. She's a dancing fiend. She'll become the first contendant on Dancing with the Stars to compete with same-sex partner during the show's 30th season. She is an absurd figure. My two-year-old daughter loves her uh, and uh, and thinks she's the best. I think she's crazy looking. But nonetheless, she's highly entertaining and she's come out as a lesbian. And yes. uh, she is going to dance with the stars with a lady. I think it's great. Go, That Jojo. is awesome. And I have no yep. idea what this whole segment's about, Kara. So you're going to help me. So wins and fails. Give me it. a win this week and a fail this week. Something oh. that you think worked really well and something that failed. I think what fail was all these conservative talk show hosts who are mm-hmm. having these deathbed conversions and saying they wish they had gotten vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess some people see that as a win. People say, you know, Darwin take the wheel or national yeah. natural selection, but I see it as, you know, a failure to respect and appreciate science. And so yeah. um, 
that that really that's really really troubling. Every time I yeah, see they that depress happen, me too. and then they're thirty. And I don't like the dunking. I a have thirty to year old guy with uh, mm-hmm. with with three kids and a child on the way. His his yeah. wife got the vaccine, and they joked about being on different sides. And he's thirty yep. years old. He dies of COVID. You know, I just, I have a family situation like that. They just got the vaccine. Thank God. They did. So and a, what, a what put them over the top and made them do it? I. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say who it is. It's someone very close to me. Um, the wife got the vaccine, was very pro. Everyone in the family has gotten the vaccine, obviously. Um, I think hearing people complain to them, I don't think it was for good reasons. It was everybody needs to shut up and leave me alone kind of thing. Well, not because people, anti-vaxxers are dying. Not to protect people. No. Actually, one reaction was, well, you got to die of something. I said, why don't you just go drive into that wall there then? What the hell? It was weird. It was weird. But it's, but nonetheless, vaccinated, so... Whatever. It was a win, I, guess. I think, you know, uh, Nathan writes a lot about that, about mm-hmm. sort of the reasons people are vaccine hesitant. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people dig their heels in more when they're, yep. when they're criticized or they feel like smug know-it-alls are telling them what to mm-hmm. do. It's really interesting from a psychological point of view. So I think if you yeah. can somehow compassionately explain and help people understand, but that's pretty hard to do in in big numbers, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. It's hard to do in small numbers. It's hard to get people off of certain things. It's also just As you know, I talk about my mom a lot and and Fox News, like watching, she was with me for a few days and I could see how it twisted her. Like she had these ideas and I'm like, factually, this is correct. No, no, no. You know, and it took at least an hour to show things before I could convince, you know, and that's like iterates itself all over the place. So it's a really... It's a bad media environment. I'm excited. I, of course, I've invited you to code to talk about this and you're not coming. But nonetheless, we would like to have you there to discuss this report you're doing. So very quickly, Katie, that's the show. But talk about it. So you're doing this report with the Aspen Institute. You're mm-hmm. working on that. Um, and this is a disinformation. You've got an amazing group. Chris, you have Chris Krebs. You've got Rashad, uh, as you mentioned, yourself. It's a great group of people working on this report for Aspen. Um, you also have your your media uh, company, which you've mentioned, and your newsletter. Um, but your book is coming out. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? It's, it's quite scary. good. It's scary. It's scary because it's a memoir. And, you know, you went he, there on a couple of things. I'm, I was very pleased to see. Uh, yes. I, you know, my husband, John, kept saying, you know, if you're not going to be honest, don't write a book. Yes. So it's, yes, it's, that's it's what I said very, um, it's very honest. I think it's probably going to ruffle a few feathers out there. But, you know, it's, it's from my perspective and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I experienced. And, you know, I think when you're a public figure, if I guess, I I was for many years, people write about you and you really mm-hmm. don't have a chance to kind of try to, to reflect or express what it was like being in that position. Mm-hmm. So it yep. felt really good and liberating to kind of say, hey, this, this is what happened. This is my experience. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be illuminating to people and um, interesting. I think a you lot of women will- who have people have ideas of that you're not like what people think you're like. It's very interesting. Um, I, I'm People will be very, this will be a really interesting book, even though you did not call give it the title that I wanted, but that's okay. Oh, explain well, well, the, t- Anchor the title. Anchor Monster. Anchor Monster. That's what I wanted you to call it, because I wanted yeah, you to go there. Yeah, because a network executive described me as such. Um, to me and wanted me to print it, and I declined to do so. And what a dick. And he wanted you. I know. Well, and, that's and what I did, thought. <laughs> and off <laughs> the record. Right. And he, he, just, the record. He, he didn't want to say who he was. He just wanted you to say that, which I think is sort of 
Well, that's very illustrative of the endemic sexism and the kind of uh, double standard, which I get sort of tired of that term, but it's true that women certainly of my era in in TV news had to deal with on a constant basis. You know, it's interesting. What is it called? So people will buy it. It's called Going There. Um, going there. And- I wanted to call it Moxie, but I, the, I nobody else liked Moxie, that. No. I well, like Moxie, that. my dad used to I know say, what Katie, Moxie you've is. got Moxie. What- it means spirit You do of got Moxie, Katie Kirk, but And I also like it- the way the, the word looks with an X right in the middle. Um, oh, yeah. I think that would have looked graphically interesting, but um, mm-hmm. also it resonated with my my life story, but nobody liked it. So we did going yeah. there because mm-hmm. it sort of has many different meanings. I go yeah. there and I, I really tell the truth, but I had to go there mm-hmm. and uh, at different mm-hmm. points of my career and, and take chances and, and you know, do, do Yeah, you things. have a fascinating career. People should read this. You know, Katie has done a lot of different things, including going to Yahoo, doing all this independent stuff. Um, and so it's a really interesting journey. It's a very interesting, and there's obviously things that you're going to want to read about that, that got more attention than other things recently. You know, I, around Matt Lauer and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I talk a but lot about Me Too you do. and Matt and what that was like, really how I processed that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about mm-hmm. losing my husband to colon cancer mm-hmm. when he was 42, and our kid, daughters were six and two, and I was 41, and my sister a few years later. So um, I would say it's incredibly candid and raw. Um, yeah. And I, I, thought I, talk it was, I thought about it was very, you went, you did the Catherine Graham thing. I mean, of all things, I mean, that was another, I think it'll be surprising to people and people will like it quite a bit. I guess. Do you think people, people do kind of uh, pigeonhole people and, and caricature you know them, don't you think? Let me just give you some advice. What the fuck do you care? You're Katie Couric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would have been a good title for my book here. I'm fucking Katie drop your mic. Drop, I'm fucking drop the mic. Drop the mic. All right, Kate. I had so many good titles for your show. Anyway, that's the show. You can find a link to subscribe to Katie's newsletter, Wake Up Call, in the Pivot Show Notes. Buy her book, which is on sale when? When? Oh, when October 26th. But pre-order okay, now because it all counts okay. for the first week, right? All right. Okay. Always selling, Katie. Okay. We'll be back Friday for more. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your questions for the Pivot Podcast. The link is also in our show notes. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Caroline Shagrin, uh, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Enderdot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week with George Hahn, actually, for another breakdown of all things tech and business. And then Scott Galloway shall be back after Labor Day. Katie, thank you so much. Kara, so fun being with you. And thanks, ladies, behind the scenes. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here, chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.